welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host. And on this podcast, we really talk about different ways for us as mothers to drive and create generational change by becoming just 1% better. 1% better than we were yesterday in a multitude of different areas. We talk about faith, finances, health, uh, marriage, mindset, parenting. And today, we are going to have a really, really raw conversation um, and kind of a training almost uh, with the guest we have. And I will say that 99% of the time, you guys, this podcast is great to have on speakerphone. Most conversations are totally fine to have with, you know, kiddos in the background and that kind of stuff. However, today's topics um, are pretty sensitive. And I also want to just throw out a trigger warning that the content today is about sexual abuse and it is about surviving sexual abuse and how to do that so that you can kind of really move on and get to living your best life after something horrible like this happens. And our guest today, her name is Rachel Grant. She is the owner and founder of Rachel Grant Coaching. She is a sexual abuse recovery coach. She's got a master's in counseling psychology. She's also the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage in recovery from sexual abuse. And she has educational training. She has studied neuroscience and she has her own journey that she speaks about in this episode. She has successfully used this Beyond Surviving program since about 2007 to help survivors of child sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, completely break free from the pain of abuse and to finally move on with their lives. And so this is an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation for number one, if you've ever experienced abuse, but number two, if you know or love someone who has ever experienced abuse. So without further ado, let me welcome on Rachel Grant. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. How are you? I'm well, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. I love um, talking about this topic of trauma and how to really change for yourself, for your family, for whoever it is. Um, and I think you obviously talk a lot about just changing the narrative for yourself and how to do that practically and, and whatever else. So can you just dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So hello, everyone. And nice to be here with you. And for those of you who are not familiar with me, I am a sexual abuse recovery coach. And what that means is I work with men and women who are really at a place in their healing journey where they've become just really sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable and burdened by the past. And they're at that place where they really are ready to break free from the pain of trauma and move on with their lives. And so, um, you know, this work came to me certainly born out of my own experience of trauma. Um, growing up in Oklahoma, when I was five years old, my grandfather came to live with our family. And I was actually really excited about that, Stephanie, because I had an older, much older brother and sister, so they didn't really pay me much attention. Right. <laughs> and I thought, okay, grandpa, all right, captive yeah. audience, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he was like, I would come running home from school and I'd go straight to his room and we would play and watch TV and we would spend a lot of time out on the front porch swing, uh, you know, hanging out. And, uh, and then one day when I was 10 years old, we were sitting out on the front porch, like we'd done so many times. And I was just snuggled up with him. I was always a cuddly kid and affectionate and wanted to be close. And, and then 
this day he reached around and he started to grab my breast. And I remember thinking, Oh, he, like feeling uncomfortable and thinking, oh, he just doesn't realize like that that's where he is. Where you are, is, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I started to try to wiggle and kind of move and adjust my body. And he really gripped a hold of me and wouldn't let me go. And of course the fear, you know, notched up a million um in that moment. And I'm 10 years old, right? I have no idea exactly what's going on, just that this feels scary and strange and weird and what's happening. And right. I began to dissociate. Of course, I didn't know that's what I was doing then. I just remember feeling kind of floaty and confused and not quite there. And eventually I kind of snapped back to self and I did manage to jump up and get away. And and I ran to my parents' bedroom and, and I just remember, you know, there was this little space between the wall and the bed and I just curled into that space and I was crying and upset and scared. And it's amazing to me how very immediately and quickly we are shifted in the moment of trauma. Like all of a sudden, these thoughts and these feelings of like, why did that happen? I must be bad. Did I do something wrong? Um, Feeling unsure of myself, feeling gross. And then hours later, sitting at the dinner table, Right. And my mom saying, how was your day? And me thinking, well, what do I do here? Right. And and, was your grandpa like at the dinner table also? Yes. Yeah. Awkward. Okay. Right. And, and this, like that immediate moment of like separation from self, separation from my authenticity, the moment when I began pretending, hiding, cover up, conceal and, and so the abuse continued for some time and it got worse and escalated. And then one day my mom walked by um, and looked out the window that looked onto the porch. That was often the space for whatever reason um, where the abuse occurred. And she saw him touching me and she came out on the porch, you know, like only a country mama can, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, the door flinging open. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And hellfire in her eyes and, um, yeah. you know, all of that. And she and my dad, you know, immediately got him out of the house, um, which, you know, I'm ever thankful for. I've been doing this work with, with survivors of trauma since 2007. So I've heard many heartbreaking stories of children not being believed, being blamed, you know, um, being villainized. And so I always give props and honor <laughs> to my mom and dad for... Sure. Well, and it's it's hard. I mean, uh, obviously, best case scenario, but I wonder, like, had you come to them and told them and they hadn't just saw it? You know what mm, I mean? I wonder what they're... True. Yeah. Because I, I think yeah. it's... I mean, it's you can't deny it when you see it with your own eyes, you know, mm-hmm. but it's... Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Though you may have listeners who have had experiences where parents or care- caregivers did witness and see and then turned a blind eye. That does oh, happen. Dang, unfortunately, yeah. right? You would one you would think like that would be a, a clincher, but wow, denial can be so well, so and disassociating like you just said, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
So he was gone and, you know, my parents wanted me to go to counseling, but I was like, what? No, I'm not. Nope. mm -mm." I think they got me into like one session and I was like, no way I'm not doing this. And I just, you know, kind of wanted to put my head in the sand and try to pretend that everything was okay. Um, But of course it wasn't. Of course I was dealing with the impact of this trauma, even as I was trying to figure myself out and into my teenage years, really struggling with feelings of worthlessness and having a hard time trusting my sexuality, kind of being all over the place. Um, Lots of rage, lots of anger um, that didn't have anywhere to go except towards my parents, which, you know, they tried to roll with, but that was really hard on them. And And uh, eventually when I was 18, I moved to St. Louis to start college and I met a boy and we started to date and it really just became very clear to me. Like, I do not know what the hell I'm doing here. Like, this is messy. I'm constantly activated. And he, you know, was somebody who I felt like I could talk to about the, the trauma and the abuse and the other abuses that I experienced. You know, my grandfather was a a jumping off point, if you will. But during my teen year, teenage years, I experienced, you know, a rape and just other traumas along the way. So he was really great in the sense of like, Rachel, you've got to deal with this, like, you've got to get some, some help and support. And so I began that process and that journey of, you know, what I think of as the survivor stage of healing, where we begin to acknowledge face what's happened, begin to understand the context of the trauma. We we become very book smart about trauma at this stage in our healing. We're reading everything. We want to read everything. We want to understand and, you know, maybe getting some skills and tools. But what was also concurrently happening, though, is that as that relationship unfolded, it became abusive. And, um, And I remained in that for 10 years. So that was a lot. And it was such a painful time because on one hand, I'm trying to heal this childhood trauma, but I'm being traumatized at the same time. So, and I didn't have the self-esteem and the wherewithal and the resources um, until, you know, my mid to late twenties. And when that relationship finally ended, I was really set on a new path. Um, you know, life was kind of a blank slate again, but it was also really scary at that time, Stephanie, cause I could really feel like, Ooh, okay, we've got some decisions to make here, girlfriend, <laughs> because if something doesn't change, like I could just feel it in my bones. Like if I didn't get my shit together, I was just going to be spending the rest of my life, like in this state of just kind of surviving and like white knuckling it through my life. So that is really the moment of shift for me when I said, okay, I am going to figure this out. I became obsessed with just trying to answer this question. How do I actually heal from sexual abuse? So I began reading more. I did my master's in counseling psychology, began to study neuroscience, and I really just started kind of using myself as a guinea pig and like, does this shift that? Okay, this is a problem. What do I need to do to solve that? Okay, here's the problem. And really, my framework became a lot less about kind of talking about and processing the trauma, and really about the question, so what do I do about that? And I have a background in education. Um, In another life, I was going to be a high school English teacher. So I, um, I, I, I did teach elementary school and I spent a lot of years nannying. And so really thinking about child development and how we learn. And so I really drew on that background in education and curriculum development to take what I was learning and what was like really working for me 
and put it into a system. And that really ultimately is the Beyond Surviving program. It's like this very step-by-step process um, that I take my clients through and over the years really refined and put things in very particular order so that we can really increase um, and maximize healing and minimize re-traumatization, which happens Mm. so often when people are in, in that healing journey. Absolutely. And I feel like everything, you know, that happened, I mean, those were such formative years. Oh my goodness. Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, like that is, I mean, not that abuse ever is ever good or fine or okay, but like when you are in such formative years, like that is like just when you're just coming into like being a girl, you know, at Mm -hmm. 10 and then, Mm -hmm. you know, your first kind of independence out on your own when you're a teenager and just, man, that's, that's a lot, um, I'm sure, to work through because you have to um, – I don't know if you talk about – we've talked about um, some trauma stuff on this podcast before and we talk a lot about like inner child heal- healing and reparenting mm-hmm. and like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's part of your um, part of your plan or whatever else, but yeah. it seems like that had to have – at some point that you have to like reparent your inner child at some point just to like, you know, give her worth again or whatever. I don't even know if that's like a something that you use in your totally. process. Yeah, I would say the Beyond Surviving program draws on a variety of modalities when it comes to like the how. So I love cognitive behavioral therapy. I love working through the neuroscience of trauma, really understanding how the brain and the nervous system is impacted and really treating trauma as an injury to the brain and to the nervous system and an injury that can be healed. And the different modalities that we use towards that end, I would say I lean heavily towards, you know, the cognitive behavioral health or what you call kind of top down healing modalities. But because the program is really expansive and we're trying to cover a lot of areas, we do, you know, family systems work. We do mindfulness work. We do somatic experiencing, you know, what are called bottom up strategies. So being in the body and titrating and pendulation, these sorts of things, as well as, yes, that inner child awareness, connection, um, releasing of shame. And I often describe you on surviving as kind of like your growing up program. A lot of people describe it that way, like, oh, gosh, like all these things that I kind of missed, I didn't really acquire because I was in the midst of trauma. And that was, I was just trying to survive. So I missed some of these life skills, some of these communication skills, some of these relationship skills, and emotional maturity and these sorts of things. Um, So it's all towards the end of really helping people come into their empowered adult self be able to live in that space more often than not. And if something comes along that is triggering or activating, knowing like what to do like on the spot in order to really decrease and minimize the intensity or the duration of that activation. Sure. Well, and that makes a lot of sense too, because you know, unless, like you said, you were like, I ain't going to counseling. (laughs) This ain't happening (laughs) early on, but you know, trauma will put you into this you know, fight or flight or freeze or whatever it is, you know, and then you're not in this receptive brain. And so there's so much, like you said, that you're just going to miss because you're not seeing the world through the lens of like, you know, a typically developing human because Mm -hmm. you've been stunted in some way because Mm -hmm. of someone else's um, action. So yes, absolutely. I love that. And so you work with all kinds of abuse survivors, correct? Not just sexual abuse. 
That's right. My primary focus and lens is with sexual trauma, primarily childhood sexual trauma. But what's really so is that people who I've worked with have a broad range of experiences. So some of my clients have no childhood trauma and it is a, a rape or uh, an assault in adulthood that they're processing through. Some of my clients, particularly my men, are have experienced physical abuse um, with no sexual trauma, but we work through the physical, emotional trauma that they're holding. And most of the time, people are, of course, holding concurrent traumas. And so while like everything that we work on, all the tools, all the skills, all the process really does apply to uh, most forms of trauma, regardless of kind of the label or the context. Where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. So if we have people, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure if whatever the stats break down to, that there are people listening here who have experienced um, trauma in some way, shape, or form. And so I know that you work with them step by step, but I am also sure that there there has to be this window of like, okay, I know this happened. I know this. Stru- I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just on the fence of like getting help, whether it's oh, because yeah. it's they're just not quite ready or maybe they're not ready to admit it to themselves or maybe it's just a very vulnerable thing that they just don't know. Like you said, there's trust issues. There's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like all these things. And so what would you say to, you know, someone listening or even to somebody who maybe you're having a conversation with that's just on that brink of like, I know that if I really dealt with this, you know, my life would be totally different. But at the same time, like, I'm terrified. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, what ain't like, let's just have some encouragement talk of like, what is possible on the other end of really coming to terms with what happened and then working through it? Yeah, one of the very first lessons in Beyond Surviving is believing that you can heal. And a lot of times when people are on that little teeter-tottering place, there's this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of like, well, I've been this way for so long. Can it really change? Can I really be different? And also, like, trauma is kind of messy. You know, it's this thing over here and there's that problem over there. And then I sometimes call it like the spaghetti mountain of trauma. <laughs> and it feels like, you oh, know, gosh, as as you, yeah. like if I pull one little thread of this thing, the whole thing is going to just kind of like down. blow up. Right. And so I think just being with and recognizing and naming like those fears, like what are my fears? What are my concerns? What are the things that I feel like I'm avoiding? And why is that? You know, that's really when I think about like the model that I offer for healing of the three stages of healing, that is kind of when you're sitting in that victim stage, you're like, okay, I'm kind of dismissing or minimizing what happened, trying to pretend that everything's okay. But the bridge from that stage into this survivor stage is the acknowledgement. They're like, okay, like, yes, this is a problem. This is impacting my life. And I think oftentimes accessing resources where you don't necessarily have to be engaged yourself, but you can just start to be kind of witnessing. And then you start to resonate with what you're hearing becomes a confirmation of your experience. So two places where I support people in that is like my Facebook group, Healing from Sexual Abuse. If you search on Facebook, you'll find that. Or my Adult Survivors of Child Abuse monthly support group that is donation-based. And people can just kind of drop in. You don't even have to share or be on screen. You can just listen. And a lot of times I find people coming to that group are doing exactly that. It's almost like I just need confirmation that I sound like and feel like these other people. Mm -hmm. In order to really own this moment of, yes, this was my experience. And I always tell my clients in the beginning, like, we cannot heal 
what we will not name. Mm -hmm. So the encouragement there is that as scary as it will be to go through the process of acknowledgement, it is also where freedom and life is. And just speaking from my own journey, you know, the life that I'm living today is light years from what I ever thought was actually even possible um, to be able to be in a state of, you know, ease and not constant activation and my mind not always kind of going at me, right? Um, to be able to feel like I can, I am grounded in myself. I know who I am. I have a strong voice. Um, and so, when we think about the vision that we actually hold for our lives in the beginning, it can be like, yeah, but I don't know if that's really real. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, sure. But connecting into that vision and then finding the support that can like encourage you. I often tell my clients like lean on my hope until you have your own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that. And do you feel like, um, Do you feel like the reason, I mean, who knows the freaking reason why people, um, you know, don't necessarily want to come to terms with or name their trauma? I'm sure there's just such a vast reason Mm. um, that we all make for ourselves. However, um, I feel like there's so much, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but so much like statistics or data or whatever where like especially sexual abuse is typically from somebody that you know. And so mm-hmm. especially as a child, like you with your grandfather. So, you know, it's that kind of that dual loyalty of like, I know that oh, was yeah. wrong, but like I loved him. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and so it's mm-hmm. like you almost don't want like the second that you admit that um, you know, this happened, this horrible thing happened, you know, you're also calling this person out. And it's like mm-hmm. You know, we're um, foster parents and there's always that like dual loyalty to the bio family, even though there was X abuse or X neglect or X whatever. It really doesn't matter because a lot of times, I mean, it doesn't make you love them less. It just makes the situation so jacked up. Very <laughs> you know? complex. Yes. Yes. This is yes, such yes, an yes. important point that you bring up. The duality of like uh, that, that's such a great word. And that's exactly the idea that part of the healing journey and process is being able to hold that duality, the yes and of someone in our life. My grandfather was somebody who did lots of fun things with me and taught me really cool stuff. And he's somebody who harmed me um, Mm -hmm. and abused me. And I can hold that duality in a neutral space because I've integrated this trauma, because I've healed that. When in the beginning stages, that was not the case, right? What it meant was I had to feel safe enough to feel my anger towards someone that I loved and realize that like that was okay and give myself permission. And I wasn't this bad, terrible, wrong person for doing that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think the the space in which people are facing, yeah, does this mean I now have to talk to my family? Does this mean that I now have to disclose it to the people? Does it mean that I even have to talk to the person who abused me? Like all of these questions can really start to come up and can stop people in their tracks along with the the general sensation of like, I'm just not going to be able to handle it. 
I, I think what's really interesting is that when we look at the psychology of it, the whole idea of like pushing it away off into the corner, I sometimes describe it as it's like this big elephant that we've just said, you know what, you go sit in the corner and I'm going to go over here and live my life. Right. Well, because <laughs> right? I'm sure you right? wish for it with every fiber of your every being that that was not being. an experience that you exactly. had experienced. You know, you just want to be normal. Yes. <laughs> just want to be normal. Just want to do my thing. But damn that elephant. It is right. noisy and it comes like it, you can suppress it for some time, but it'll come out. Every once in a while, like, and it's going to get it, it's going to get its say, and it's going to make you look at it every once in a while, even if it's just once a year, but that once a year, boy, it can really muck things up mm-hmm. and it stomps around, gets your life all messy. And then you have to use all of this energy to push it away again. And so, you know, everybody like this is the concept of beyond surviving, like, let's move on with your life. But a lot of survivors hear this messaging of just let it go in a negative context. They'll hear that from family. Oh, that was so long ago. Why don't you just get over it already? And they're like, yeah, I do want to get over it. Of course, I want to get over it. But the idea that that happens through suppression is just a misnomer. And it's this instead, it's the like bringing it out, putting it on the table. But what I find to be really important about that is one, having support to do that. Like we cannot do that on our own. We just don't have the contact, no matter how many self-help books we, we read on our own, we need mentorship and guidance. And that can be a lot, look like a lot of different things, but we're going to need an external lens to help us kind of parse through because, you know, we will trick ourselves and we have so many belief systems that have to be like reframed. And then can we do that in like a little step-by-step way? Like, can we just take this one piece and put it on the table and we don't have to look at the whole elephant all at once, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. And I think when people start to embrace that that structure, then it starts to feel more doable. It starts to feel more palpable and palatable. And, um, and then you can start to take those little steps that you need to take each day to move forward. And I love that. And I'm assuming that, you know, your course and and all this different things, it's like, there's probably a right and a wrong way to deal with trauma. (laughs) And so there's probably like you said, um, you know, a way to like, okay, we really need to address this first. And then we'll get to that. Like you're trying, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're trying to deal with it with something, you know, that's back here, which is good. It needs to be dealt with. But like, if you don't fix this, I don't even know what and and possibly Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you you need to change the narrative because when this happened to you, you were a child. And so you perceived it as, you know, you did something wrong. There was something wrong with you, you know, all these different things as a 10 year old. And now that your frontal cortex is actually like developed or maybe it isn't even, I don't know if, if um, trauma like that tr- uh, stunts that, but, you know, let's like reframe what happened. Like that wasn't your fault. That wasn't this. That wasn't, you know, and, and like start to really believe that and see it from almost like an outside lens. And then we can take this next step. And so do you feel like there's a pretty systematic way? Um, I mean, obviously not a one size fits all. That's not what I mean. But is there like a systematic way to kind of start to peel back the layers? So mm-hmm. it's it's not overwhelming. It's going to be overwhelming, but it's not so overwhelming. We can really take that bite by bite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
for me, like the way my brain works and the way that I take in content information. And then of course, for the clients who really resonate with the way that I work, that structure like is a godsend. Some people don't love the structure of Beyond Surviving. They want a little more of kind of like a organic, like, let's just go over here and see and, you know, connect over that. And, and that works for them. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, accessing lots of different modalities and kind of trying things out. Don't get discouraged if you try something and it doesn't work for you. That might just not be like the thing that works for you. You're still looking and seeking. But what I love about the structure of Beyond Surviving, while there is room to kind of wiggle and like work with things, is that it does take off the the, the pressure of I've got to like... I've got to figure it out. Like I often tell my clients, like, don't worry about how you're going to get any of these things. That quite literally is my job. Like I am supposed to provide that. You are providing the content of your experience. And so I'll give you an example. Like in Beyond Surviving, we work with, um, there are some really key outcomes, but the very first thing that we work with is nervous system regulation. Like we have to build that foundation. Do you understand the neuroscience of trauma? Do you understand what's actually happened to the brain and to the body as a result of trauma? And do you have some really solid tools for nervous system regulation such that when you start to go into states of activation, you actually have interventions to support you and coming back into a state of regulation. My number one beef with uh, people who are not trauma-informed and in some ways generally therapy is that a lot, a lot of times people walk into therapy and they're asked to do this entire background of everything that ever happened to you and go right into talking about and the, the, the person, the, the practitioner has not done any assessment of whether that person actually has tools for nervous system regulation. And mm. so that can be hugely re-traumatizing because it's like, here, let's open up this big old wound and then like, let's send you home. Like what? <laughs> in fact, I mean, I experienced that oftentimes in my own healing work. Right. And so that's why like we don't even talk about the trauma until we get those tools in place. Sure. You know? Sure. And and I feel like um you had mentioned and I think just even online with some of your stuff that you talk about your course and stuff um as far as trauma comes not comes and goes obviously it's there uh our triggers or whatever it might be you know I I could imagine and I list I know nothing about any of this uh, I'm somewhat trauma un- informed because of uh being foster parents and just that's something I'm really into. And so it's kind of been a self-studies mm-hmm. slash fostering slash um, my my job and whatever else. But, um, you know, there is a sense of like anxiety for people that I know even that have experienced sexual abuse because they're like, I don't know when I'm going to get triggered and something will trigger me that I had no idea was going to be a trigger. And so then, you know, I'm in the middle of a freaking grocery store and <laughs> – our grass is getting cut right now, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can hear that, but I can't, hey, everybody. I can't. Okay, okay. Um, but, you know, they're in the middle of a grocery store and all of a sudden they're having a panic attack because, right. you know, I don't know, they see a ball cap that like flashes back exactly to like something that, in their childhood yeah. or whatever it is. And so it's like it creates this um, – not not like agoraphobia, but like I'm nervous to go live my life because mm-hmm. I don't know if there's going to be a random trigger mm-hmm. and then I'm out or I'm driving and I'm having a panic attack. And so how do you kind of stabilize that just in general so that we're not having like 
feel, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And I'm crashing. So there is, right. is there a way to like stabilize those experiences? Yeah, for sure. So you can think about like, um, when your system is in a high state of dysregulation, then what that essentially means is that the part of the brain that processes incoming data, the thalamus, is a little bit like it's just stopped doing its job well. So the thalamus is processing all incoming data and assessing it for risk or danger. And then it's sending that information to both the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. And so for somebody who experienced ongoing trauma in their childhood, like you came home from school and you just didn't know what you were going to get kind of thing um, and or repeat traumas, then the thalamus just starts to say, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous. And so that's that sensation. Like when you go out into the world and your system is like a live wire, like everything feels like it can just set off something. And then what that also means is the thalamus is constantly pinging the amygdala. And so it's like the amygdala gets stuck in its on position, activation. And so being stuck in states of high anxiety or hypervigilance or the other end of that spectrum is being stuck in states of like kind of dissociation or numbing out. And then sometimes you go back and forth between those. And so as you heal the nervous system, right, then you walk out into the world more resourced. So rather than stepping out the door already on a tin, ready for anything, right? You walk out the door one. And then when you're at the store, and you, somebody walks by, and they, they have a scent or a smell that maybe is similar to the abuser, your system may register that as danger, right? It's an old association. But because you're resourced, then that activation can't escalate so quickly. You will start to become more aware and conscious of your your system's activation process. Therefore, you can slow it down and you can intervene. So for example, the body will often tell us way before our conscious awareness that something is going on. And one of the things I work on in my own life and with my clients is just really being attuned to your body. And so for me, like my, almost always, like my hands will clench immediately if something is kind of pushed a button for me. Mm -hmm. So with that awareness, as soon as I notice, recognize that sensation, my job is, okay, whoop, better slow down. Let me pause right now. And let me just check in with myself. And so in that moment, then I can slow down. I can use any interventions. I can separate. I might be like, ooh, like sometimes we know what the thing is that sets us off. And sometimes we don't. And the good news is that we don't have to know what the trigger is, but we can just even say, okay, I'm starting to feel a little activated here. Let me take some breaths. Let me orient to my space. Let me use some cognitive work by saying things like, um, like I'm safe. I'm just at the grocery store. I'm an adult. Um, like these sorts of things. There are a variety of interventions that we can use for system regulation. And then as we start to see ourselves able to do that, then the world stops feeling like this thing that's coming at us, right? And that in any moment, we're going to, you know, fall apart. Yep. Well, I think too, there's going to be some um, just 
understanding of like, I don't want to say what's normal, like what's typical and what's atypical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think this is just a random example has nothing to do with necessarily our um, parameters of this conversation. But like, you know, if you're like driving over a bridge that has a bunch of water in it and I've got my five kids in the car, like I feel like for a split second, I'm like, oh my gosh. If something happened and we right. went over this bridge, right? How am I going to save five kids? You know what I mean. And that causes like a little bit of anxiety for me. Yeah. And then I cross the bridge, and then I'm like done with it. On with where someone yes. who right, where like I know people who wouldn't even cross the bridge because exactly. they'd be like, oh my god, like you know. Exactly. And the, it's like I the chances of you actually going off this bridge are very little, but like it's mm-hmm. very real in their mind. And so mm-hmm. trying to just like not minimize, well, yes, minimize the anxiety, but then obviously like start to bring, I don't know what the correct term, like not bring them back to reality, but, but kind of like put, you know, like, what is that? Yeah, well, the way Tell that me the words because that. I'm not saying yeah, the right no, it's thing. Great. It's great. It's such a great, it, okay. So the way that we describe that in Beyond Surviving is proportional response. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, let's just say, for example, like you, um, a friend, you know, cancels, you know, lunch with you. When you're in states of trauma and easily activated, that can set off a whole spiral of thoughts and behaviors. Nobody loves me. I can't count on anyone. Like you'll just go, you can go straight into like such a, a far, a disproportional response. Um, maybe even so far as to like, then you text the friend and like, you're an asshole and I'm never seeing you ever again. Goodbye. Right. Right? (laughs) Like, we're done. Like they just needed to not come to lunch, you know, whereas a proportional response would be feel your disappointment. Like it's okay to be disappointed that your friend canceled dinner. Or lunch, you know, feel that disappointment, be with that, recognize that like life is happening, things are going on, they still love you, and reschedule the lunch. Yeah. And that's really it. You know, I often say like, what was so hard and so painful in the space of really being stuck in the past is exactly that. Like, I was living through the lens of the past. I was living through the lens of the pain of the trauma, which in many ways also meant I was really living through the lens of the people who had harmed me. Mm. I wasn't really myself. I really wasn't seeing myself for who I really am. I wasn't responding to the world around me as it was. You know, I was in, in my own narrative, in my own story about what was happening and what was being said. And that's the place from which I was living and choosing. And my gosh, like that is such a huge piece of the the work that I get to do with my clients. And it's really beautiful to see them when they really start to get like, whoa, wait a second, like this trauma, it's almost like it puts this layer of crap, you know, on us. And as we strip away these layers, pull that back, we start to see ourselves our actual selves. We get to show up in the world as we really want to show up. We get to have the relationships that we really want to have. Um, and we get to be present in our lives. And I think that too, you know, because I, I mean, I've seen um, just the the impact and the weight of certain trauma because you know, and, and people that I absolutely love. And it's it's very hard to watch almost from the outside 
because mm-hmm. that trauma, when it's not dealt with, um, which again, that's not easy to take that step to deal with it. But when it's not dealt with, then like you were kind of talking about, you start to miss like opportunities. You start so to, you know, many. you're living your life through someone yeah. else's, you know, story of you and version of you. Mm. And then I feel like, like I, I'm just thinking of someone specific in my head, you know, they're, you know, older now and it's like, they still haven't dealt with it. And so, but now it's like, not just the trauma, but then the regret of like, gosh, this is just compounded and the relationships that have been, you know, just messed up. And it's it's like, gosh, none of that is fair. That all freaking sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. if that's the card that you've been dealt in this life, like that freaking sucks. But I'm, I'm assuming that you are just like, standing here ready to like scream from the rooftops like there is hope and there you know yes. let's let's stop this now like yes. let's not let's not do let's not yeah. do another 10 years yeah. of this because yeah. because the opportunities that you miss and the relationships that you probably miss out on the life that you miss like you know not only do you want people you know I'm sure to heal from this trauma it's like you want them to like live again and well, not yeah. miss out so um Absolutely. You know, the whole concept of beyond surviving was born out of this moment in my life where I was I was in a, um, a workshop where we were, you know, tasked with creating a community event. And I knew that I wanted to bring people together to talk about trauma, but I was really struggling with like what to call the event. And I was brainstorming with one of the, the guys in the in the workshop. And he says, well, just tell me about some of your motivation and why this is important to you. So I started to tell him, you know, my story and unfold that for him. And when I completed sharing, he says, well, you know, I'm not quite sure yet what to maybe call this event, but I just want to say to you, like, you're such a survivor. You're so strong. And it was coming from a good place. But that day, for whatever reason, I was not having it. (laughs) I was like, what? I was like, he didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was coming. But I was like, I'm so effing tired of people telling me I'm such a survivor and I'm so strong. I do not want to just survive my life. I want to live it. There has to be something beyond surviving. And bam, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) And that is, I mean, if I put like another like mission statement of beyond surviving is trauma is not a life sentence. Mm. I'm really working against like messaging that has been out there for so very long that you're going to be this way forever and you're just going to find cute ways to cope. Like, I don't think that's not the reality. Um, I've seen it too many times uh, when men and women from their twenties all the way up to their sixties, you know, who've done this work and reclaimed their lives and gone on to really live. And, you know, that's the intention, you know, take back your life. Um, It's yours. You have every opportunity and right to do that and you deserve it. And if my way of supporting you uh, resonates with you, awesome. If not, let's get you other resources. Let's connect you in where you need to be connected in. But there's um, one of my colleagues, Irene Lyon, talks a little bit about how every person who's experienced trauma can heal, but not every person will. And there are kind of these Mm -hmm. critical factors that contribute to that. One is resource. I mean, resources are so, so important to be able to have access to. And the reality is that there are people in certain circumstances where resources are quite limited. 
and access to resources can be limited. Luckily, we're such a more, we're so more connected today than we've ever been. So joining an online group, being in a community that meets virtually is like, in some ways, it's like, there, there's almost no excuse these days. <laughs> I'll say it that way, though. Mm-hmm. It can be a little harsh to say, but like, there are so many resources and there are free resources that, you know, it's out there. And so that is becoming less of a, of a barrier, but it is still there for people of color, for the queer community, um, for men, men, you know, resources that are specifically for men, they're catching up, but, you know, they're still not quite as available as what you can find that are, you know, resources that are geared towards women. Sure. Yeah. And then like community, you know, one of the things that happens with trauma is that we become very isolated and disconnected. And when that happens, it's really hard for us to see potential impossibility and we cannot heal in isolation. And so that accessing of support and community is another kind of like linchpin that moves a person towards healing. Um, And so, yeah, for anyone listening, mostly what I want you to take from that is like, be encouraged. This, this isn't a life sentence. There are so many resources and opportunities and you get to start like wherever you get to start. It's never too late. My oldest client was 75. (laughs) She was like, I'm doing this, right? Like there's no such thing as too broken, too late. And, um, yeah, and we just we find I think it's true. Most people come to a moment, I call it a, a, the enough is enough moment in their lives. Um, and if in that moment, you can take the brave step, even if you're scared, you know, to step in and lean into something that you will find that there is a completely different life waiting for you. Absolutely. I love that. And we talk a lot about on here, um, not necessarily just with this type of trauma, but just really anything in life that, you know, one of the best things that you can give your children is a healed mother. And like mm. healing yourself yes. is, you know, like it and in this stupid hot mess mom culture that we live in, you know, that like <laughs> a shower is self-care. You know what I mean? It's like, Jesus, oh what the it's yes. so ridiculous, you know? It's like self-care for moms is like a hot shower alone. That's like a basic need. So I don't really know where that came from. Uh-huh. However, um, you know, to take the time, like it would take time to heal yeah. that trauma and you know, whatever. And I think a lot of times, you know, it just even on this podcast, and I've said it multiple times in different interviews, but it's like people think this podcast is, um, you know, it's called Legacy Through Motherhood. So people think, oh, okay, this podcast is going to have conversations on how to meet, how to help me help my children do better in the next generation. And we all want our children's, you know, floor to, or like our ceiling to be our children's mm. floor. Mm. However, this podcast is it is we talk about different ways to help our kids and do all these different things and pass the baton well and all these things however you it, it's more about the fact that we as mothers or women in general are we're still freaking kicking and breathing and we're yes. here and so it's not just like my life is over let me teach my kids to do better it's heal yourself because that ultimately is going to overflow into your children's lives they're going to see that you know and so yeah. I love everything you were saying. And um, okay, so I want to wrap up and I want to have you tell everybody like where to keep in contact with you or whatever else. But I feel like I've said this in our group that we're in, but have you ever thought about or is there a part of the uh, course that you have 
that has that is a resource for people who are um, in close relationship with mm-hmm. people who are survivors because I feel like that's, you know, your community is your, you know, yes, you can have a community online or whatever, but it's your people, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's like when you uh, deal with some kind of trauma, I – you know, whatever, not the same, but also not comparing trauma. You know, when we miscarried and we lost our second baby, um, it was like the people that were close to me trying to help the most that were actually the most hurtful <laughs> because, oh, gosh. The, well, it it's just the comment so and they often. all meant they well. Just, yeah. 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 They all meant well. There was so right. many like at least comments. There Ugh. was, you, you know what I mean? Like yes. that kind of thing. And I didn't even know, honestly, like if had I not been going through that, I probably would have said the same thing to people. And so mm-hmm. do you have something um, or maybe create something <laughs> that is like, <laughs> hey, here's some more work to do. Um, no, but I just, you know, like, and, and now yes, people people yes. reach out to me and say like, hey, I have a friend who just, you know, mm-hmm. miscarried, like, what do I say? Mm-hmm. And so is there mm-hmm. a resource that you have that will help people who are, who are, who love people who have experienced abuse? Yes, for sure. So not my own, within the context of if you're working with me directly as a client, there is a beyond surviving guide for partners, spouses, family that comes along with the program. Um, But for general resources, you can go to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash resources. And one of the very first categories you're going to see there is advocates. And so when you click into that section, you're going to find articles and books like my selected like um, resources that I think will for anybody who's in that position, wants to be an ally advocate, is in relationship with somebody who has experienced trauma. So there are great articles and videos and books. And so, yes, go there, learn, educate yourself, become trauma informed. Um, one of the things that I do a lot of work with with my clients is actually teaching them how to teach people to help them. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Like there's that Love aspect that. too. like, how do you communicate your needs? Um, how do you show up for yourself in that way? But yeah, those are, those are great resources that people can, can access. Awesome. Well, I mm-hmm. will link to that specific link in the show notes cool. for this. So, mm-hmm. okay. So Rachel, can you let people know how can we just stay in contact with you, like your social media stuff? And then mm-hmm. I know that we've kind of talked about your course throughout this. And so if you want to just kind of like, you know, 10,000 foot view of that, I can put all these yeah. links you guys in the show notes and um, I'll let you kind of close out here with um, any last things you want to say. Um, okay. And then obviously how to reach you. Great. So uh, my website is a great place to start, rachelgrantcoaching.com. One thing that I will encourage anybody who's listening who is kind of wanting to get a sense of where they are in this journey at the bottom of that page, or you can go to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash checklist, and you can get my guide that really breaks down these stages that we've kind of talked about in general here today, but will take you much deeper, victim, survivor, beyond surviving, and really help you understand what's happening at each of those stages, what the goals of recovery are for each stage, and the best types of support to get like that will match up with where you are in your healing. Because a lot of times people get re-traumatized because they're actually in an earlier stage of like processing and they start doing kind of solution-based therapy that's trying to pull them into, you know, fixing, solving, resolving too soon. So Mm -hmm. you can check that out. You can download that. 
Um, if you're interested in exploring working with me directly, you can complete an application for a Discover Your Genuine Self session, which you can get to straight from my homepage on my website. Um, I've mentioned the Facebook group. That's a great place to connect as well. So um, the resources page on my website will get you linked to things like the monthly support group I mentioned, my podcast, the blog, other videos, other master classes and things that you can check out there. Um, been at it for 14 years. So the resource bank is pretty full at this point, nice. which is <laughs> wonderful. Um, and everything from free programs to uh, programs that, you know, are an investment, but to get support um, along the way, really try to cover the bases there. And as far as final thoughts, first of all, I want to just thank you and um, offer gratitude and appreciation for what you're doing in the world and for having me here and sharing your community with me in that way. And for anyone who's listening, um, I guess I'll just rename and just reemphasize that the, the experience that you've had in your life does not define you. It is a part of your life story. And as we learn to really integrate those experiences such that it becomes like a thread that is a part of the tapestry of your life, then you get to live more abundant, empowered, present, and joyful, and connected. And it is not a pipe dream. <laughs> it is not a pipe dream. It's real. It's accessible. And if there's anything I can do to support you in getting there, I'm down. I'm ready for it. So don't hesitate to reach out. I love that. Thank you so, so much, Rachel, for coming on and for everyone that has been listening. And if you uh, have experienced this yourself or if you know somebody who has experienced this, please pass along this episode so that they can um, also have the chance to be in contact with Rachel. So again, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. I'm absolutely certain that there is going to be a woman or a man <laughs> Although there's probably not many men listening to this podcast, <laughs> but you know, that might maybe even tune into it for the first time, like, oh, you know, and randomly kind of stumble upon it and be the exact words and support that they need to hear at this exact time. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, you guys, how amazing was that conversation? I feel like I learned so much and I feel like it was pretty obvious, but I'm like, I don't even know how to ask the questions <laughs> that I was trying to ask. But she was so gracious and so knowledgeable about this you know, whole area to just, I mean, it just makes me sick that this is even a conversation that we have to have. And, and like we said, multiple times in there, it's like part of just not even wanting to move forward has to be the fact that it's like, what the heck, this should never have even happened, especially to a child. Like this should not even be something I have to heal from because this should never freaking happen. And it just breaks my heart that it does. And so if you have ever experienced this, or you know someone who has, or you come across someone who has in the future, I highly, highly encourage you to just pass on her resources, pass on this episode um, if this was helpful or you think this would be helpful so that we can just reach as many women as possible. All right, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Make sure you go check out Rachel so you can just kind of stay in contact with her and get as much content as possible. And I look forward to walking with you to help you find your grit while completely covering 